understand what's happening. One Black Friday, and if you know anything about me, you know that I love my Black Fridays. We went down with another couple friend, and they were taking a bit of time in REI co-op, and so Lucas and I went out into the courtyard, and we were just chatting about jelly bellies. Light, casual conversation. Apparently, it did not look light or casual, as one of our friends came and approached us very cautiously and said, do you need a little more time, just the two of you, to finish this conversation before Beth and I join you? We didn't. We were talking about jelly beans, and it caused this great laugh because while he had come, halfway through our conversation, he had missed some of the key details, some of the key facts of what we were talking about. And right now, we are still at the beginning of Paul's letter to this church in Colossae, and Paul is going to get to some really deep and hard truths in the next few chapters, and he is giving us the context, the key details, so that we don't misunderstand the conversation. In essence, this next section of verses is just saying, let's all be on the same page. Let's start from the same point. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians 1, verses 15 to 23. And if you don't have your Bibles with you, then pull out your phone. And we don't put the scripture up on the screen because we think there's something so important about highlighting your Bibles, making notes, marking it up, not keeping a perfect, pristine Bible but having something that you can flip through when hard times come. And so if you don't have a paper Bible, please find us after the service. We'd love to get one for you. But if you have a phone, if you go to the App Store, you can get that U, Y-O-U, version Bible app for free. We're going to start in Colossians 1, 15 to 23, but let's pray. So God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is inclusive to all, that we all can understand because you, Spirit of Truth, are here. So would you help us to be sensitive to your voice together? Would you help us to be good soil, that your word would take root? And as always, God, would the things of my flesh float away on the wind, and the things birthed by your spirit take root and plant seed and bear fruit. In your precious name, amen. So Colossians 1, 15 to 23. Well, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 
Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Let's all get on the same page. And this, I mean, it's a toothsome section. There's a lot to digest in here, and maybe even can be dismissed as like, yeah, 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 I know that already. But right off the get-go, Paul is saying, you know what, we need to come back to the place where we recognize who Jesus is. Because if we don't have that, if we are not starting on the same place in the conversation, the things that are coming up later are going to be misinterpreted, or they can be dismissed, or we're going to miss something of utter importance. We need to remember be remembered who Jesus is. And right off the get-go, what we see is that he is God revealed to us. In verses 15, 16, and 19, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. If you think back to the summer in our This Is Us series, we talked about who God is. And here at Evangel Church, we believe in the Trinity, the three in one, that the Godhead exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one God having the same nature and attributes and are worthy of the same homage, confidence, and obedience. And so we have to wrestle with this fact that Jesus always was fully God. He was God before he was born, and he was God after he ascended to heaven. And why is that something that's so important for Paul to remind us of. Well, throughout history, we have been interacting with an invisible God. Yes, there were moments where we saw angels or God himself come and interact with humanity. Yes, we have the words of God written down through the prophets and in the Bible. But for really all intents and purposes, we have been serving an invisible God. So how do we actually know that what we're reading, we're interpreting correctly? And how do we know that when a prophet came, that they were in fact communing with the real living God? How do we know what is true? I don't know about you, but many people have come to me and said, the Lord has told me. 
In fact, I shouldn't be here. Supposedly, the Lord told someone on my behalf that I'm supposed to be a missionary in Africa right now. But God and I both know he didn't give me a strong enough stomach to do that. And there have been some doozies over the years of things that people have come and told me, thus saith the Lord. And so how do we know when we serve an invisible God that what is being spoken to us is truth? Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He who always was. He who is himself. Everything God took on flesh and humanity so that we, a broken humanity, could see what God would live like. So we could see the conversations that God would have, the people that God would invest in, the values that God would hold. And our frail and limited mind could wrap itself around an invisible God. And now Jesus becomes our filter. Thus saith the Lord, hmm, is that how Jesus lived? Thus saith the Lord, are those the values that Jesus held? I read something and it just doesn't sit right because I'm not interpreting it. I come back to filter it through that which I could see, the life of Jesus. He becomes my filter. But there was another conversation happening here in the early church, and that was, was Jesus actually God? And it's a conversation that still is happening today. Right? Maybe Jesus was just a really incredible teacher. Maybe he was just a fantastic prophet. Maybe Jesus was just someone who God used to do all of these miraculous things. But we've said it before, if Jesus was not who he said he was, then he actually was the worst person to ever walk the face of the earth because he willingly deceived all of those people to lay down their lives. And the answer to all of the inexplicable is actually the deity of Jesus. If you think through a math problem and it's solved for X, do you know what X is in the case of Jesus? That he's God. It's the only thing that actually lines up. It's the only thing that makes everything in here makes sense is that Jesus was God. And when we're tempted to throw out this faith, when we're tempted to give in to our doubts, when we're tempted to just say, you know what, I'm not sure that it's real. Do you know who we rest on? We rest on Jesus, that he was actually a historical person that walked the face of the earth. That's not disputed. That he actually died on the cross, not disputed. That his body vanished. And either we believe in the resurrection, disputed but not disproven, or we don't. And Paul is reminding this early church, church, 
you need to wrestle with who you believe that Jesus is. The visible image of the invisible God, our filter and our proof. And what happens then is when we're tempted to skew the word of God intentionally or unintentionally, Jesus is our filter. When we're tempted to give in to our doubts, Jesus is our proof. And so we need to remember who Jesus was. Not just a good man, not just human, though he was, but fully God revealed to us. And if we understand who Jesus is, the deity of him, that he was fully God, creator of all things, then it's not a big leap to go from there, that he is fully God revealed to the fact that he is sovereign over us and over all things. Because if Jesus is God revealed, then he is also the sovereign God that we serve. In Colossians 1, 16 through 18, it says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Being fully God, he retains all the authority of God. He is the creator of all things. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-magnificent. There is nothing in Jesus that is not present in what we know of God. I love history. I especially love early European monarchy. Anyone else out there with me? I love to watch how the countries and the monarchs formed and changed and ruled alongside each other and everything that happened in early Europe. I think it's just fascinating. And maybe that's why I love this word, sovereign, so much, because it just makes my imagination spin. Just think of one of those early kings or queens. If they had any grievance with another country, they just had to give the word war. And what would happen? An entire country would mobilize to go and do their bidding. If that king or queen decided that they wanted more money, they just had to breathe the word. And all of a sudden, taxes would be raised and levies would happen and the entire country would be mobilized to bring them what most likely they didn't have. It took a word. It took a whim. That is supremacy. That is being the head of. 
that no matter what you decide, it happens. Right or wrong, good or bad. I mean, we saw that throughout history, right? But unlike those kings and queens, we have a perfect king. We know that in him is the fullness of everything good. That he is perfect justice and at the same time, perfect grace. Like it doesn't even make sense because in our frail, limited humanity, they're opposites. But in him is perfect everything. And if whole countries could be mobilized at the word of an imperfect king or queen, am I mobilized at the word of a perfect king? When he breathes that still small direction into my heart, Am I devoted enough to my sovereign who reigns supreme to follow? More often than not, I'd have to say, you know what? I fall short in this. I fall short in quick obedience and being willing to be devoted to my sovereign to the head of or who's supposed to be the head of my life but if i believe that jesus is god revealed then i have to believe that he is my sovereign which demands my devotion and my fealty Back to verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. I want to put it to you another way. Without him, there is no order. Without him, there is chaos. And if we believe that he is God revealed, if we believe that he is sovereign, then we know that he is our creator. That is very clear. And as the author and the creator of life, he knows the best way for creation to thrive. He holds it all together. Everything in creation was designed by him and for him. Everything we see, us included, was created to honor God, our sovereign. But if he is the head of us, then he is also the head of the church. And so as much as this is an individual question, it's also a corporate one. Will we, church, be quick to listen to the word of our king? Will we be quick to lay down even what we might not have because the king demands it. Will we be quick to follow him into battle? Will we be quick to follow him with obedience and devotion and fealty? Are we faithful subjects? 
to a perfect king. The visible image of an invisible God. The ruler over all that was, that is, and will ever be. That is our king. A king who's worthy of our devotion, but unlike any other king throughout history, because our king, he humbled himself lower than us. Our king laid down his life on our behalf. Our king reconciled us to himself. In Colossians 1, starting at verse 20 to 23, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Jesus, the fullness of God, perfect everything all at the same time, all justice and all mercy, all grace and all righteousness, our minds can't comprehend it. But if he's the perfect king worthy of our devotion, then he can't ignore our sin. Because there is a perfect law that must be followed. And if his justice is perfect, and we know that it is, then there are penalties to that that must be paid. And his perfect justice can't just ignore or hide what justice demands. Death. But because we serve a perfect king, his love is perfect also. And he made a way to reconcile us back to himself and to our original purpose, which is relationship with God. Jesus found a way to satisfy the law. He would die. And on that cross, Jesus willingly paid the penalty for every wrong thing that I have ever done or ever could do. And he rose again to conquer death so that even death would not be the end for us. Even death would be defeated. And in that moment, Jesus became a filter of a different kind. And now, instead of just us viewing God through the filter of Jesus, God views us through the filter of Jesus as well. And when we accept that trade, when we accept what happened on that cross, God doesn't just look at us with his perfect justice and see the broken and see the blemished and see the irreparable. Because I will never be good enough. Now when God looks down at me, he looks through Jesus who is perfect everything. And he sees me as I am in him. Blameless. Perfect spotless, righteous, 
holy. None of those words will ever be words I'll describe myself as. Because my sin wins out far more than I want it to, even now. Right? Paul talks about that. The things that I know I should do, I don't do. And the things that I know I shouldn't do, I do. Because there's still a war going on. And so I know in that moment when my sin wins out, later today, tomorrow, like it's going to happen soon. I know it because I am broken and frail and limited. And I know that when that happens, guess what? Jesus already paid for that too. And when I come back to his throne of grace, when I come back and surrender my life, when I come back to what he did on the cross, he's not standing there with condemnation. No, he's waiting to be my filter again. Because he's all love and all justice. He's all mercy and all righteousness. But listen to verse 23. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. I want to read you a quote about this verse from the Faith Life Study Bible says, Paul seems to be acknowledging that the Colossians are at a crossroads. He charges them to continue trusting in Christ and living out the gospel message. However, they must refuse to observe the rules and traditions of false teachings, which threaten to lead them in a different direction. And they must remember that faith in Christ is not simply a way of entering God's kingdom, it's the way of life within the kingdom. Jesus is our reconciler God, and he brings broken people back into relationship with God if, if we want to be. If you continue in your faith and do not move from hope, our choice, our actions, our beliefs, our thoughts, they're ours. Because here's what I know to be true about God. Jesus loves people. And I believe that if it were up to God alone, that every single person would just choose him. That every single one of us would accept the work of the cross and we would walk out a life of wholeness that's going to be present in heaven because he loves us. And it is horrible to watch the things that you love make the wrong choice. But God doesn't force the choice on us because then we could never truly love him. We would just be robots loving him, and that's not love. So the choice is ours. If you choose to continue in your faith, if 
you choose to not move from this hope. What we believe matters because we get to choose what that is. And I don't know anything that must break and delight the heart of God more than allowing his creation to choose what they think about him. Because on the one hand, we can choose to focus on all the worst. And that must just break his heart to know that he gave everything for us and still we focus on how he's not enough. Or we focus on all of the sides of him that we want to ignore, like his justice. But on the flip side, it must delight him when his creation chooses well. When we recognize the wholeness of the truth of who God is, we have the freedom to choose. So do we believe that Jesus is God revealed? Do we believe that he is who he says he is, fully God, infinite, with all the attributes and character of the Godhead we know, our proof and our filter, do we believe it? Do we believe that Jesus is our sovereign God, that he is our perfect king, and as such worthy of our devotion, that a life of meaning and wholeness is only found when we obey where he leads us. Do we believe that Jesus is our reconciler God? And will we accept the gift of his death and resurrection, declaring for ourselves that we choose him to be our God, but our Lord as well? And in that declaration, allowing him to be that filter by which God sees us. But friends, that's the easy part. What we believe. I want to read that last line of that quote for you one more time. They must remember that faith in Christ is not simply a way of entering God's kingdom. It's the way of life within the kingdom. Because believing that Jesus is God revealed is far easier than taking the time to run what I hear by the life of Jesus. Living out Jesus as the revealed God takes time and intentionality. And believing that Jesus is sovereign is far easier than allowing him to actually sit on the throne of my life. Because that takes submission and humility. And believing that Jesus is reconciler is far easier than living a life reconciled. Because that takes sacrifice and effort. But who we believe Jesus is, who we really believe that he is, becomes our source and our inspiration. You think back to the last two weeks. And it drives us to both the belief and the life. Who we believe Jesus is matters. 
So this morning, my prayer for you is that you would believe and journey with Jesus, God revealed, our proof and our filter. That you would believe in and journey with Jesus, our sovereign God, who is our perfect king, worthy of our devotion. That you would believe in and journey with Jesus, our reconciler, who offers us all life and wholeness. We're going to ask the worship team to come and let's pray. God, I thank you that who you are is not hidden from us. You made yourself accessible. That we would come to know you, that everyone would have the chance to know you. So this morning, Jesus, would you convince us of who you are? And would you help us to make that decision for ourselves? Not just of what we believe, but of what we're going to live. But would you allow that conviction of who we truly believe you are to become our source and our inspiration? Because that's where the outflow comes from. And God, we so desire to be a people who look more and more like you every day. So this morning, as we just lift our eyes back to you in these closing moments, God, would you be here with us, face to face? Would you reveal yourself to each of us as we need to be convinced of you? that we would encounter your love because that is where the change happens when we meet with you. We love you so much. In your precious name, amen. Let's